Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, just when I thought last click, last touch attribution was showing positive signs of finally losing traction as a benchmark measurement in digital marketing and business performance, it's back. In the case of VC-backed online pure play Pet Circle, CMO John Wilde says he's returning to the last click hustle because finance and venture capital still like it and in the current conditions are more focused than ever. And he believes it can still serve a purpose. John also expects as economic conditions tighten, there will be a market-wide swing back to lower funnel performance budgets, which of course will push pricing up for performance channels like search that in turn could put pressure on the efficiencies of customer acquisition. But on the other hand, Clea Baker, head of performance at health insurer Booper, is going in the opposite direction. Booper is moving up the marketing funnel and is unraveling what influences that last click, last touch activity before it happens. And in between these two scenarios is Atomic 212's National Managing Director, Rory Heffernan, and Head of Digital, James Dixon, who say both these companies are more advanced than most in the market because they have a roadmap for measurement systems in place. And perhaps alarmingly, for all our talk in the industry around data, analytics, and marketing, as a growth contributor to an enterprise, measurement systems are still incredibly underdeveloped. So what becomes? Well, we're about to find out. And uh, welcome to you all. I'm really intrigued by this conversation. Um, John, let's start with you. Um, for me, your most disappointing prediction, John, uh, is that last click, last touch attribution is returning with gusto. And as you say, for good reason. In the words of one Australian politician, please explain, uh, John, and, and welcome to this. I'm, I'm entirely fascinated. Um, last click, you're, you're, you're a fan still. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself a fan, and thanks, Paul, but I, but I definitely think the, the market context is changing, and, and maybe it's worthwhile starting there, just to give this some, sort of a, so we can level set on, on the conditions, what's going on out there. So Yes, good. The first thing to recognise is marketing is often one of the biggest lines in a P&L. So, you know, you can see marketing sit from anywhere between 5 to 20% of revenue. So it's, it's significant. With that significance becomes accountability. And, and management systems are drawn to digital metrics because you can put in a spreadsheet, you can make projections, and you can move up and down on an, effect, on an effectiveness curve and manage the P&L. And you, for this, you need outcomes. You need to be able to predict new customers, revenue, or other sort of business metrics. And for far too long, I think our industry has been peddling, you know, reach and frequency and brand consideration, these sort of metrics that are very hard to put in a spreadsheet, impossible to put in a spreadsheet. And so for one of a vacuum, um, attribution and digital metrics fill it. When, when I look at our particular context, you know, we're, we're a VC-funded company, but I think it's no different to a C-suite. You know, they want to find ways to value marketing in a deterministic way. They want to be able to say, you know, spend this, get this. We sit and blame them for short-termism and, you know, not really understanding brand investments and upper funnel marketing and, and the like. But the truth is, you know, as a marketing and media community, we need to take accountability to fill that void. Just, you know, this, so it's incumbent upon us and, in, and the industry to justify the spend and the outcomes and build robust testing systems that instill confidence in investment. And, you know, the C-suite, the finance community, the VCs, they need to be your partners, not the enemy. In Pet Circle's case, we, you know, we're VC funded 
and, and we are accountable in terms of in terms of our investments. Can you give us a sense of the business? So, how many customers, revenue range, or how do we how can we define get get a sense on on Pet Circle? Because it's it's a startup, pure play, been going for a while, and it's going quite well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're sort of about eleven years young. We've got you know eight hundred odd thousand um, active customers. You know, revenue in the hundreds of millions. We're still relatively small in terms of share, but we've we've been on a you know really strong growth trajectory. COVID has obviously given us a lot of um, accelerated our growth, and we've typically in the last two years we've been charting a growth at all costs kind of focus. And what's happening now, and what's interesting is obviously as money tight, money supply tightens up, people are getting more focused on the on the um, return on those investments. One of the ways that interestingly that VCs do that is they have this this rule of forty investment focus. Basically, it's a simple formula. It says if you add up your growth and your EBIT margin, it needs to be over 40. So typically in the last few years, we've been running at 50, 60% growth. In this rule of 40, it means you can be losing sort of 20% EBIT. With this shift in, in sort of financial economic conditions, the direction now is to try and focus more on EBIT and slow growth. So you're looking at the differences. So instead of so growth might be 20% and your EBIT margin might be 20 so you're seeing a real shift, and, and that's typical of, the, of of a lot of startups, VC funded plays now, and even tech companies. It's, it's not growth at all costs now, right? There's there's a return to profitability. That's the sort of the underlying macro trend here. Absolutely, and and, and obviously this will be different for for listed and more mature companies that probably already have that in their in their DNA. But in in the in the growth and VC funded community, there's a big shift towards profitability, and as you move down that that path, you need metrics that can measure outcomes in in a predictable way. I'm a believer in top of funnel marketing. I just don't feel yet we've got the metrics to give the financial community confidence to move up there. And so what naturally happens, the natural gravitational pull is is towards the bottom of the funnel. So you move into sort of digital channels and search and and click-based attribution. On attribution, I sort of sit on the notion that they're all horribly flawed. None of them really tell you the true incremental story of of, of what's really happening. And, and whether you go with last click, multi-click, U-curves, and there's a whole bunch of other different methodologies, you've, you've got to just accept that they're flawed. I'll probably go against the, the current here a little bit, and I actually just like last click. It's simple. You've typically got a lot of historical data. And, it, you know, it's all, all, almost like this Occam's razor principle. It's the simplest of all the bad options. And, it's, and as, as it's simple, it's easier then to sort of bend and shape. So you can add modifiers and change it to try and get it to behave more like a true full mixed funnel. The top line of all this is that not only is it that you are refocusing a bit more on last click, last touch, bottom of the funnel performance tactics, um, you think the market overall will will go that way uh, as well? Yeah, because I mean, because the the cost of money is going to affect everybody, Um, you know, and so as, as money tightens up, and as you know, and as the world economy sort of deal with grapple with inflation, and some of these other forces, Things will tighten up, and people will move to where they can get predictable results. Companies will move to where they can get predictable results, which at this stage is predominantly last cl- or click-based attribution systems. There's very little out there that can can replace them at the moment. I do believe there's a bright future. We, we're just quite a ways yet from really living that or, or, or delivering that future. So it's about the metrics and measurement getting uh, more sophisticated on the marketer side to be able to deliver something different beyond last click is where you're saying. We're not there yet, but we, we, we should get there. We need to get there. We have to get there. We have to get there. Um, otherwise, otherwise, this kind of sort of circular or cyclical effect will happen, will continue to happen. Because if you think about it, this is the first time in the last 
decade, maybe longer, that we've had inflationary pressure where you've had sort of market contraction. So this is a, this is a new, essentially a new a new force or new forces that we're dealing with. It's a new thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so what I suspect it's going to do is it's going to force folks back down that funnel as a reaction. Compounding that uh, accountability is uh, many of our clients have had the wind in their sails from COVID. We saw lots of businesses prosper in revenue on COVID. Uh, And then this year, those winds are less favourable. So, yeah, marketers are being held account more to where the growth is going to come from and where it has come from. Thank you, James. But it was a good point. Um, Can I just I want to come back to those points, by the way, James. Um, Clear Baker, you know, it's fascinating. You, your strategy, even heading into these economic headwinds, is quite different, right? You're, you're increasingly spreading your activity and focus beyond lower funnel performance and last click, um, and that's been underway for a while. So w- what is Booper doing and why the shift in strategy here? And what do you make of John's points? Because they're a, bit, a little bit different to yours. Yeah, thanks, Paul. I, I think it's quite interesting. There was an article in the Harvard Business Review quite a while ago saying that Brands that can increase their share of voice at a time when other advertisers are pulling back can dramatically increase market share. And I do agree with John, there are a lot more pressures on uh, showcasing the profitability and uh, pressure from different finance teams on showcasing the value that marketing is driving. But at Bupa, we've been very focused at the minute on how do we more effectively measure brand and its flow on impact to performance. And I think there's a few drivers of that. You know, firstly, we're quite a mature business. We've been around for 75 years. And so we've been very focused on driving commercial outcomes, on lowering CPA, thinking about multi-touch attribution frameworks, improving the DSP tools we use to spend more effectively to better de-dupe conversions across channels where possible. And the problem with a lot of that measurement methodology from an attribution perspective is that It relies on cookies, it relies on third-party tracking, and as the efficacy of that decreases over time with, you know, more and more crackdown on that space, we want to ensure that we're preparing ourselves for the future and looking at, well, what will measurement look like in the future and thinking about media mix modelling to understand aggregated data sets and how above the line spend impacts bottom of the funnel and how other variables around offers or discounts or pricing impact our performance as well. So yeah, I think we've been very focused on that. I think it's probably because we've been very sophisticated at the bottom of the funnel and now we're looking at, well, how do we improve our methodology at the top of the funnel and think about metrics such as share of voice or share of attention as just important drivers as our bottom of the funnel CPA. You've found a way to link those metrics that are could be seen as a bit fuzzier and a little bit more generic back to a performance on a, at a customer acquisition re- revenue or profitability basis. Are you going all the way through to that yet or that's the intent? Yeah, we're definitely on the journey. I, I, you know, I wouldn't, this is all very complicated and as I agree with John in the sense that no measurement framework is perfect, but I think it's about taking other business units, particularly CFOs and finance teams on, on the journey. And so understanding that there are variables that do impact our profitability and our performance, such as what competitors are spending in the market will impact our efficiencies, uh, what offers we have in market, we see dramatic impact on that in terms of how that's impacting our marketing activity. So I think it's it's really about, you know, taking the right metrics to those teams to showcase how things are actually driving value. 
I want to make one observation, which is that you're head of performance at Booper. It's unusual, I think, to hear someone who's the head of performance talking brand, right? It's usually church and state. It's a demarcation between the brand marketing people and performance marketing people. The fact that you're talking both, I don't know if that's unusual, but it's unusual in the conversation that I typically hear where, you know, usually you're very focused on bottom of the funnel, Clear, but you're talking both. Where did your, how did that come about? Where did your thinking change? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously I'm a huge advocate of performance channels. That is my role and search drives such a huge impact on any organization. I think I philosophically am a fan of multi-touch attribution concepts because, you know, even if you look at within the search channel, you see that. You see the impact of advertising on generic search and how being present in that more competitive, high CPA environment drives in turn more brand searches and more brand engagement with your search ads. And so I think if you take that philosophy further, obviously it makes sense that your TV advertising, your radio advertising, your display investment does the same thing. And, you know, would that last touch have happened if not for that those interactions before? So I, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I'm that unusual, but um, yeah, I can't understate the impact of performance channels. Obviously optimizing that has a huge impact on any business return as well. So it is, it is important. We're about to get to Rory and James, but I do want to ask both you and John, what is the expectation on price inflation in performance channels and the cost of customer acquisition if, to John's point, we see a sort of a more of a market movement back to more to performance because of this? Um, what happens to pricing and does it become, does customer acquisition become more challenged and inefficient? Yeah, I think absolutely it will. Uh, the, you know, as investors rely more heavily on search, CPAs can increase. And in our industry, it's very, very competitive. And there's also very little brand loyalty as well. So it makes it quite challenging. You always have to be spending to maintain those sales. So I think what we're doing is we're trying to focus on, you know, as inflationary pressures uh, put pressure on people's wallets, we need to make sure that we're thinking about our product and how to ensure that we we help customers feel like they're getting value out of our product so that they continue investing in us. And for me, that's a brand job. Right. And, and I guess customer experience as well, right? The experience of actually when they're with you is going to help, at least in retention. Yeah. Worth noting that Clear plays in a space where AdWords click costs can rise above $100 a click. Even at the bottom of the funnel, the, the click is expensive. If this scenario plays out, we'll possibly go even north of that? Or what happens on pricing impact in, in those performance channels? Typically in immature AdWords markets, the, the price fluctuates. And I've seen in health insurance in particular, a few years back, we were getting into $200 per click. Uh, it might've leveled out now, clear. I don't know, I don't know what you're paying now, but um, typically the less sophisticated the market, the more variability there is in the click cost. And then um, say in travel, where it's very sophisticated, you're bidding in and around a cent or a two cent margin for your clicks. But in other markets, you can have a lot more variability. Interesting. John, what do you think if people start behaving like you, <laughs> um, does that mean there's more pressure on, on price? What do you what do you think? How is this going to play out? And what's the impact on customer acquisition and viability? You're going to see increasing costs, I think. So back to James's point, the other the COVID effect was, say, circa 30 percent improvement in our business. And I think typical online, that's what I've seen sort of across Templar Webster and some of the other online businesses. So you've had- 30% revenue gain, you mean, or cost increase? Yeah, like let's increase it, increase in velocity. So improvement in CPAs and so on. I think with this shift in, in, in money, essentially, or economic conditions, you're going to see, I think, inflation in respect to click costs. You know, dog foods for us is like $3.50-ish. 
So it's, it's reasonably expensive. And interestingly, what we've done is, back to your point earlier, Paul, we focused on customer experience. So rather than spend marketing dollars up the funnel, our strategy at the moment is spend them down at the bottom and invest in customer experience. Specifically for us, that, that's around range, price, hold, trying to hold prices, so taking some of the price increases and absorbing them, and, and really importantly, delivery. When people need pet food, they want it fast. You know, their, their fur babies demand it. <laughs> and so we, we're really investing in, in that area of our business. So our, our strategy is acquire them as effectively as possible at the bottom of the funnel and then deliver a, f- a wonderful customer experience to retain them. We actually have a product, actually, uh, we have a product called Auto Delivery that sort of acts almost like such like a subscription product. And the goal of that is essentially to stop them going back to Google to find us. So that sort of takes them out of that ecosystem and then we and then you have a direct relationship with that particular customer. Well, so you're taking Google out there. Well, there's a good thing. Yeah. Um, the the thing on that is subscription. So how is subscription, like we are going completely off script here, but just out of interest, yeah, how is subscription uh, with this pet food product? And is, and can we talk about some of the, very quickly, you've got some crazy products coming for, for pet owners. Yeah, I mean, when I say subscription, it, 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 there's no cost. It's just simply you set it up and then, and then your food arrives at a specific date that you, you establish. Right. But, but what it means is you're not going, I've run out, I'm now going to go to Google to buy that product again from Pet Circle and we pay for the, we pay for the privilege hmm. of, of reacquiring the same customer. What we do is we cut, we cut that action out and we, and we, we essentially uh, interact directly with the customer. Let's leave the product alone because it's really unless you, unless you can go there because it's fascinating. But I we got one one cracking one coming that allow, that basically allows your dog to talk so that your dog hits a, a pad and 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 then it starts communicating words from the dog, which I think is hilarious. But well, pet owners <laughs> will love that. Yeah, exactly. They, they will. <laughs> so Rory, we've heard from John and Claire on what's going. How does all this fit in with what you're seeing more broadly uh, in the market? How sophisticated is is that broader the, the marketing function? versus what we're hearing from Booper and Pet Circle. Um, what are you seeing? Thanks, Paul. Uh, hoping to hear uh, more of Talking Dogs uh, on the podcast, but um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it depends, I think, on the structure of the organisation and the, I suppose, measurement uh, accountability within the marketing function. So depending on the pressures, what the kind of um, spend levels are, what their media mix is, that all informs the accountability, I suppose, required from the marketing function and that broader organizational structure. So, you know, how big or, you know, how beholden is marketing to those finance structures or, or whoever those key decision makers are. I think for uh, generally speaking, that where you're at on the data journey is kind of key. So that to John's point around shifting headwinds, that when times do get tough, you kind of have your house in order to demonstrate that accountability beyond last click measurement, which there isn't an option at the moment that is as widely recognized or as readily available as Google Analytics or last click measurement. I think it's a lot easier for marketers to put that in front of boards or other stakeholders to justify marketing spend than most other measurement models. Uh, and that's just because of it's, it's everywhere. So they're, they're, it's used to being looked at. Um, whereas, you know, media mix modeling and these other kind of uh, tools are a bit more in their infancy or a bit less, you know, it's not something that people are used to looking at on a daily or, you know, live kind of level to, to justify marketing impact. 
And so what becomes, Rory, so where the conversations you're having now in market, uh, is there an appetite to status quo or to try and test and experiment? And we're going to get to some of, you know, what, where companies should start in a sec, but where is the thinking here? Is it just literally, it's too, it's very tactical and in the now and just follow the status quo or is there a challenge to the status quo happening? Well, as you can see already, um, it's a mix of both. So I think the intention is is there to move beyond it, um, but it's just how to put that into practice. So John was talking about customer experience and allocating more investment towards that. And I guess that would be a common tension point in organizations of going, you know, we have this capital, capital available. Should we spend it in media um, or marketing spend or should we put it into another lever we have available? That could be a call center or third party or something like that. So for marketing to be able to go, here's your ROI or your CPA you get from us becomes as kind of crucial as it ever has. So I think most marketers want that to be coming from somewhere that's not last click or last touch attribution. So I think like like Clea is saying, putting the framework in and the technology in to try and get ahead of that conversation or be taking probably those other stakeholders on the journey is the most important thing. James Dixon, we've talked um, through this conversation so far about the need for good measurement, good measurement systems and, and architecture to do that. Where should companies start then? Uh, what should they be doing and, and what's holding them back from doing it? Where they should start, I'm going to encourage your listeners to prepare the slides in advance of the CFO's question. I, I invariably see the CFO will ask, what is the ROI on this budget? If they haven't already, I, I believe that the marketing department can get ahead of that conversation uh, and start to sketch out the slides to that response. And in doing so, they'll they'll um, dig a rabbit hole, but find their way through it and be ready for quite a complicated discussion in due course. So I'd, I propose that they answer the question in slide format in two ways, talking to the CFO about the, the two speed um, return of investment. You've got the short term direct response that is typically provable through digital attribution and more frequently now with media mix modeling and Clear talked about her journey there. She's using Mutiny as a tool uh, and those tools are becoming prevalent and easily accessible to prove out scientifically the return on investment in a direct response way. They are a journey, however, so you need the, the marketing team needs to get on that journey. It's a six to 12 month process to get a media model to a provable level. But once you've got it, you've got the scientific backbone to go to your CFO proactively and say, here is the ROI in a direct way. But we shouldn't neglect the long-term brand building uh, and that attribution of the brand. And I've recently written an article uh, for MI3 around how to value the brand and how to have that discussion with a CFO, because that's equally as important. And typically the larger bit of budget goes to the notion that we're building a brand for the long-term, but we never really talk about that long-term payback. And I, in the article, I talk about the ISO standard. I wasn't aware there was an international standard for brand valuation, ISO 10668. Oh, I've read that one. I know, I thought so. But it's great. It's, uh, it's 10 years old. I've never heard it surface right. in my conversations, but it's a formal way to establish the value of the brand. And once you can establish it in a formal way, you can go to the CFO and go, I've got an asset here, albeit it's not on your balance sheet, but I've got an asset that's probably one of the most valuable assets in the balance sheet. It's not recognized, but we need to maintain it with a budget. Um, and then that's their language. So those two stories 
I'd encourage your listeners just to get on board with and progress with by wireframing a slide deck in advance of the conversation. I think also demonstrating a, a kind of culture within the marketing function of measurement and testing and beyond, you know, because most organizations would be familiar with the testing you can do in, in digital, whether that's, you know, testing two creatives against each other. AB or whatever, yeah. Exactly. So I guess bringing that logic into a broader sense, whether that's through match market testing or uh, incrementality testing or, you know, pre even pre and post testing based on we had this in market over this period, you know, all things remaining equal, we saw a lift or we didn't. So to James's point, you're kind of going with that proactive approach of, of testing and data and incrementality that I guess will show that marketing can play that role outside of the you know, the, the well-trodden kind of digital space. Oh, well, James, you know, there's a couple of businesses you're working on which are testing and measuring. What and how are they doing it? And I guess it's reasonable here to, to plug your book because this is what your book's all about, right? It's media effectiveness. So it's, it's, it all, it's all in there, actually. If I went and, you know, got the book off my bookshelf, which I, I have, I'd be quite a, a smart person, wouldn't I? Yes, thank you for the plug. It's readily available for free on our website. And it really was just a flag in the sand to say, get measuring. The process is as simple as a scientific hypothesis, test, learn, fail forward. Um, but invariably, um, our clients are doing this in digital. Their digital teams are solid and years of experience in testing AdWords A-B tests or Facebook A-B tests, but that isn't applied as we go up the funnel. The, the testing frameworks get much looser, if not absent, as we go up into um, di other digital formats or radio or out-of-home traditional formats. So yeah, we're encouraging all our clients to start to learn how to measure those above the line formats and the pitfalls of doing so. There's no perfect sciences as, or method, as John said earlier in this podcast, no perfect science, but the, the learning curve is essential uh, and important. Just so quickly, give us a, can you give us a sense, don't have to name names, James, but like how is one company or two companies doing that? What, like, what does it look like? Well, it can start very simply just with um, a hypothesis and a test in a market. Say, let's go test Brisbane with a heavyweight radio campaign versus Perth with a, a heavyweight out-of-home campaign. And then just starting to look at the variables. Regrettably, most of our clients want national campaigns uh, and a national plan, which is pretty generic across the states. So we try to introduce a bit of variability and we can then look at state by state which one wins out and then hypothesize whether it was any given above the line channel. So that's an easy way to get started. Um, and then there's more complicated ways where we're deploying technology such as Mutiny to get a more advanced understanding for the channel by channel attribution. So, so Clea, let, let's go to your project around this because this is the econometrics modeling stuff that, that Mutiny and Warchest do, which is sort of a platform, an automated platform, if you like. Talk us through how you're working, your measurement systems and how you, where you're at with that now and what it's proving. Because I think you said earlier, um, you're actually investing further up, you're investing more in above the line and you're able to track it and you're seeing some results because it's the, it's the you know, what comes before that last click. So just talk us really quickly through what you're doing around your measurement. Yeah, so I think in terms of our journey with Mutiny, I would say we're in our infancy there of trying to get that stood up, but we've been working with Atomic for quite a while on other media mix model solutions. I think one of the reasons why we're investing in Mutiny is I'm a really big believer in tools and the automation process that they can provide. So one of the biggest challenges with media mix models is that 
the process of collecting data, aggregating it, and then applying statistical models is hugely time intensive. It's costly. It requires a lot of manual resource. And so having a tool like Mutiny should hopefully streamline a lot of those flows because you can connect and automate and manipulate the data in a more scalable way. And I think that's critical. And faster, I guess. Yeah, because if if you're only looking at a media mix model once every six months or once a year, the efficacy of it is is sort of impaired. Ideally, you're looking at it at least every month. So I think that will be a really interesting piece of our journey. And we are in the process of looking at what data sets we ingest there. So obviously sales data, media data, but beyond that, what can we think about our product level data, our um, offer calendar data, and how those variables impact our spend as well as other market conditions. So in our space, you know, population growth or we have market data from APRA around just the growth or shrinkage of the insurance industry. So thinking about how do we understand those broader economic conditions on our own performance as well. John, can I ask um, in terms of how you're doing a lot of testing? I mean, you're you're a massive test and learn and, and adjust and iterate. Yeah. Um, talk us through a couple of the, you know, the, the testing scenarios you're doing. Um, James talked about, you know, even just basic stuff on, on state by state, which is difficult because of the national agenda. But what are you doing? For, I'd just love to comment on the, on the media mix model process because one of the things really interesting things about it is it takes marketing back, back to where I think it should have always been, which is, you know, back to the four Ps. It makes you look at all of the, all of the inputs in, 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 a, in a business. So it goes beyond communication. It's about price, product, and all the things that sort of clear was sort of referencing. And I actually think the process is almost almost as important as the output in a media mix model because it it forces marketing teams to think well beyond communication, which is unfortunately I think what's happened somewhat in our industry. We've been reconciled reconciled to that piece of the the overall mix. In in, in respect to how we, how and this is I think the bridge between attribution and media mix, there's a bridge there that I think is around this culture of testing. Some of the important sort of, I think, inputs to that are close proximity to the data analytics and finance teams, involve them in the, involve them in the testing process, have them kick the tyres, be really transparent. I think the team skill sets are, are rapidly evolving. I'm sure Claire has this as well, that, that in my team now, the probably the primary skill sets is, is, is data analysis. They're all very adept at it, as, as, as you know, strongly skilled as our commercial teams. And I think with those sort of, if you can set it up the foundations that way, then things such as you know, A/B testing, incrementality tests, match market causal tests, all these things become much more second nature. I, probably the best one, the best one we've done recently, which is was, was an accident during COVID. Uh, we had unprecedented demand, and we started trying to slow that down by by slowing marketing down. And we saw it as an opportunity to actually turn search off. So we turned search off for, for a period of time to try and understand its incrementality to our business. Um, I would I would encourage everybody to have to do this at some point. Yes. Yeah, so do tell us what happened, John. What happened? Do tell. Well, so we, we turned search off, and then we looked at we looked at the the, the impact on our business. Roughly, thirty percent of the of, of search are coming to you anyway. So you're basically paying for customers that that are already going to come. So, so for, from our perspective, we think search is somewhere between sixty to seventy percent incremental, and we factor that in now into our into our um, last click attribution models. So we're trying to take some of those insights and 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 shape. Like you heard, heard me talk about trying to shape attribution. Well, that's what we're doing with some of these insights. You know, the rest is is reasonably incremental. So, so the rest of the, the rest of the search, we you know, you lose that that volume. 
like given the import, given this conversation, particularly in, in in respect to search, and search is very hard to do incrementality tests. Um, other other platforms allow you to do it. So an incrementality test is you know you, you treat one essentially like an A/B test. You treat an audience with with one message, another with a control message, and then look at that whole group or that whole population over time. Um, search is search is you can't do that. So you have to take the leap, turn it off. Right. Um, and I, I recommend it. I love the turning off test. I've never been able to implement one, but for all the listeners out there, I think it's a great way to endear yourself to the CFO, to suggest turning off a state, not the whole campaign, but just turning off a state and working out the incremental loss from that state to prove out the effectiveness of media. Yeah. Cleo, would you be, can you pull that off? Can you, would you be able to do that? Because it's a brave move, right? Yeah, it's very brave. I think that would be quite challenging to push in. I think we've done other sorts of split tests across other channels, but we are so heavily reliant on search. You've really got to be prepared for the drop in sales and you've got to set expectations that that will happen. I think the other thing you've got to consider with those sorts of holdout tests is the impact of latency. So sometimes you turn off and you're still seeing uh, the latent conversions coming through off the back of the activity you had in market a week ago. But yeah, it's very interesting. It can give you great stats to keep using in your attribution moving forward. Just while we're talking about the topic of testing, I just wanted to make the point that I think it's hugely critical that marketing teams work very closely with digital teams in terms of thinking about those journeys. So looking at tests around the on-site experience. We, we do a lot with Adobe Target in terms of testing personalization, testing different messages, testing different flows. And the, the uplift that that then has on media is is quite profound. And so thinking about, you know, as marketers, often we're hamstrung by the fact that we drive traffic on site, but it's the website experience that in turn converts that lead. So I think that's, you know, really critical when we're thinking about future performance and how we drive more value as well. Just quickly on John's point that, that you know, by serendipity, they could, you know, turn search off for a little bit um, and discovered that it was 60, search was 60% incremental, 30% was going to happen. And you hear that number fluctuates. What's your gut on, uh, clear on, on, on the incrementality from search for you, if you, on that number that John talked about? Yeah, I would, I would say that makes sense. You know, we, when I was at eBay, we did a lot of modeling on how do we make sure that SEO and SEM are working better together and that we're not cannibalizing leads that we could get for free. So we had automated scripts that would run that would, in the event that we were ranking highly for certain terms, it would pull down our uh, SEM spend across those keywords and vice versa that, that would run. That's quite an interesting approach, except it's very hard to measure and there's, there's always the challenge of other competitors appearing above you. And certainly in our space, in the insurance industry, there's a lot of brand bidding that goes on. So it's it's something that's much more challenging to trial here. But I think it's really important to look at your organic trends because if your paid search trends are increasing dramatically and your organic traffic or conversions is going down, that's a sign that you're actually cannibalizing your your own performance. If it wasn't serendipitously COVID and you could do that, would and could you do the same thing? Could you and would you shut search off? Yeah, I would. I, w- I would. Um, in fact, I'd, I'd probably do it as James suggested, state in, via a state rather than full national campaign. But even that sometimes has issues because of other noise. But I mean, if it's a significant proportion of your investment, so let's call it five to ten percent of your overall PL, I think you've got to understand it. I think you've got to take that that leap and, and really understand it. And I and and you know you, you can replace that volume. I mean, it's a short term. It's a short term impact. I think for a much longer term benefit or value. The, the story I was going to tell you actually was, and I don't know if this is the case still, but 
a few years back, EasyJet turned off all of its brand SEM and decided to put all that money into into um, top of the funnel because they said people were coming. Like there was no incrementality to it. So there's I've seen a few pe- few sort of case studies where people have yes have done this. We've seen it in the US too. I think one of the banks did it in the US and discovered that the incrementality is even lower yeah. than what you've got, John. Yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. literally they could they, they didn't need it. Um, well, they hardly needed it. Yeah, that's branded versus generic. Yeah, the incrementality on, on brand um, we've found is is generally quite a bit lower than what what John had found across the board. So what John was saying before about um you know if if search is taking up a significant portion of your overall budget, a lot of the time brand search is taking up a significant portion of that search budget. So it's the age old question of whether you, whether you can turn off brand and get most of that traffic through organic. And we have definitely tested that a lot over the years for different brands. And what happens, Rory? Oh, the incrementality there is it, it's generally around 10 to 15% that goes missing right? in terms of brand. So it, w- it would vary significantly category by category. You know, I, I would, to Clea's point, health insurance, incredibly competitive, long known established brands in the space. Uh, so that's quite different to probably uh, John Space and, um, you know, the, the brand loyalty behaviour is completely different. So you would see wildly different results in different categories. Clear, I just want to um, clarify with you. Um, you did say, I think, um, prior to this in conversation that y- you are investing more up and through the funnel to above the line. That's what's going on right now. Despite the economic conditions, you're holding on sort of upper funnel, above the line investment to drive the performance channels. Yeah, that's correct. And I think there are a couple of drivers of that. Certainly we, you know, with the COVID spike, we saw in the insurance industry that was decreasing quite a lot until COVID happened. And then with COVID, we've seen an increase in, you know, people needing, you know, more concerned about their health or investing more in insurance and looking at even if they travel, making sure they've got policies because there's more of that uncertainty. uncertainty. And so because there's been that growth in the industry, that in turn, I think has meant that, I guess there's a bit less short-term pressure in terms of our marketing budgets. And I, I do expect what John talked to earlier, that there will be increasing pressure as the rising cost of inflation impacts that we may have harder conversations coming down the line. But for the short term, we're really focused on how do we ensure that we're communicating value? How do we ensure that we're building that brand preference and building that brand loyalty so that more customers stay with us and so that we drive growth for our business. To John and Clea first, let's wrap this up, this one up. What are your views really on, now we've touched on it all through this conversation, but what, what are your views on where your marketing peers should start in, in, in this whole measurement, test and learn, uh, and above, below, performance, et cetera? John, to you first, there's a lot of, a lot of marketers out there that are doing a lot of stuff, but not necessarily in this space. Where do you recommend they, they, they you know, what's first base? First thing is that you've got to recognise that we, there's a macro changing environment that we're going to have to react to. So a bit like AA acknowledges a problem. Yeah, you got to, it's coming, whether you like it or not. I think a healthy dose of scepticism on, on all, all frameworks, um, so whether it's, at, whether it's last click attribution and even, even in a medium, a medium mixed world or a testing world, you need to have a, that sense of scepticism or curiosity, whichever, whichever way you want to play it. I think then it's about building capability in the team. So that's about skills, uh, the way they operate with the finance and commercial teams, the, d- the data and analytics teams. And then it's, I think it's, you've got to be, you've got to be brave enough to, to run experiments 
even to the point of turning search off. And just to um, clarify, my search experience was generic, not brand. So a brand roughly plays out the way uh, Rory indicated. And then I think it's, you know, if you, if you don't have, if you're not running, like this would be my, my measure of success, if you don't have tests running at any given time, then I think you failed as a marketer. That if, you're, if you're not sitting there kicking the tires of your spend constantly, you failed. If you, if you do that, eventually you move up the, up the sort of evolution into, into media mix, which is obviously the sophisticated end of that spectrum. Um, and again, I think for me, in a media mix journey, the first thing is it's just the process is re- incredibly important. Like I, I imagine, clear, for example, things like a pricing, in, a pricing index relative to your competitors is going to be an input that you're going to need at some point. You know, so it forces you to look at your four Ps much more closely than, than I think marketing has been doing, has done historically. And then I said, I think ultimately you do need to end up with a, with a system that allows you to push up, up the funnel, not just down. Claire, your views on, you know, you're doing exactly all this. Uh, what's your advice to, to peers on this? And particularly your performance marketing peers, because I, despite what you say, I think you're a little advanced. Yeah, I, thanks, Paul. Um, I think that, you know, in terms of preparing for the future, you need to start thinking about what is your measurement framework going to look like in the future with the deprecation of cookies? And as James touched on earlier, that process can take six to 12 months if you are thinking about building a media mix model. So putting that business case forward, looking at it, you know, even assuming a rough increase in ROI, what would that look like off the back of making more informed measurement decisions? That can often be a compelling way of presenting that investment in a tool like Mutiny and the value that that could possibly drive. I also think organizations need to be thinking about customer data platforms as well. So, you know, if we think about marketing and re-engagement strategies, which again all rely on cookies, we need to be thinking about how do we better leverage our own first-party data to engage customers and, you know, take them along the journey in, in the future where cookie retargeting may no longer be a viable option. And so I think it's really about how do you tell that story to finance teams? How do you paint that picture of why these things are so important? And also what's the risk of not doing them as opposed to just the investment of doing them in the short term? Yeah, great points. Rory, um, so John talked about, you know, if marketers aren't testing, you know, it's, a, it's, it's essentially a brick wall from the get-go. H- how many, in your view, are doing tests? I mean, most will be doing digital tests of some sort or not? There, is everyone testing just the wrong sort of tests? I think... Um Everyone would be testing something, but to John's point, maybe not big tests that are going to inspire that confidence that you've got a accountability mindset for your kind of overarching marketing budget rather than kind of macro digital tests. I think to go forward, I think why not start with focusing on what the limitations are? We talked a little bit at the start of limitations of last click, but even as you go into those more advanced products like media mix modeling, there's going to be limitations there could be on your inputs. If you're pulling in data from an analytics platform, that's going to have limitations in the way the data is collected. You know, you are aggregating data that could be problematic in one way or another. But aside from that, even on the outputs, you know, how are you calculating, you know, long-term versus short-term? If you are looking at media impact, what's the methodology within the model to calculate brand impact? What's the carryover of each media channel? you are going to still find that media channels that have more data points will come off stronger in the mix. So I think most media mix models, TV and digital, are going to come out looking better 
than others simply because there is more data points for the model to to play with. And I think the most interesting point is how are you accounting for future events? So any model or measurement system is looking at past performance to try and predict a future outcome. But, you know, we're seeing new media channels emerge. So how are you going to, you know, your model is never going to tell you to invest in something that didn't exist when the data was collected. So with the movement of eyeballs from one media channel to another or the, you know, the um, what we've seen in terms of the divergence of different media audiences into different platforms, models are always going to be limited in that sense. So you need to grapple, I suppose, with those limitations of any um, form of measurement to make the kind of, I guess, adjustments to the media mix or the uh, strategic decisions that you're probably trying to get out of um, those kind of platforms. If you're going to be launching new products and new offers, how can you use the past data in a way that you can label it or play with it to inform what might happen in the future? Just to build on Rory's point, because he triggered my brain, I just also wanted to make the point that I think it's really important for marketers to set aside budget for experimentation and innovation. And so you agree that budget up front to say, this is our test and learn budget where we are going to take risks, we're going to test new channels and we're going to see what works. And if you set that up from the beginning with finance teams, that can make it more easy for you to trial new things. And it's super important to set that budget aside as well. Yeah, well, it's a great point. And I think, Rory, you you talked about earlier as well, though, that 60, 30, 10 or whatever the ratio is um, for experimentation, it's making sure that that experimentation budget is on meaningful and significant experimentation rather than sort of, you know, things that could be around the edges. I think, or maybe I'm making that up. No, yeah, I think so. I think if you've got a framework like that in place, probably the the first step, but I guess it's making meaningful bets. So, you know, digital A-B tests against a specific audience might, you know, you might be able to map out what kind of ROI that learning is going to yield, but there might be something bigger you could be betting on. So final words will go to the New York Times bestselling author of uh, How to Do Effective Media, James Dixon. What are your... No, there might have been a bit of stretch there, by the way, on the New York Times bit. So just be clarified. I don't want to mislead my my, my uh, audience. But it's a great book. And James, your final thoughts, really, on, 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 on this whole conversation and wrap up and for the next 12 months. Thank you, Paul. Hopefully your listeners aren't feeling too overwhelmed because it is a rabbit hole of... <laughs> of- all sorts of technical jargon. So it essentially keep it simple. Just start with small steps, get on the on the journey. And I come back to that sort of thought that marketers can prepare a, a slide narrative for their CFO and, and speak in the CFO language. So we have to keep it sing, simple. Uh, we have to keep it output driven and start to answer the two questions that what is the short-term ROI of the annual marketing budget and what is the long-term ROI of the marketing budget? And that short-term one's addressed with digital attribution or media mix modeling or testing and learning. And then that long-term one is more complicated, but um, the ISO 10668 is a formal framework that I'm not aware is used prolifically, but yeah. is, is there for that purpose, to value the brand in a formal way. And it, it turns out brand value can be uh, ascertained as about 20% of the business value in, in the article I wrote for you, Paul. So 20% of the business right. value can be at, can it be a broad proxy for brand value. And if you go to the CFO with that simple statistic, he starts to appreciate how valuable the brand is to the business and how much, how much therefore, it needs to be maintained with an annual budget, much like a factory or a house needs an annual maintenance budget. 
and then how much he should invest to grow that asset for future. Great. Well, listen, I mean, I'll put my two bobs worth in too, which is essentially summing up what all of you are saying, particularly around this notion of language and how marketing needs to talk. And it's that language more of finance and CFOs and VCs, which is, you know, where we talk about brand metrics and lower funnel and upper funnel. Um, I've heard it not, it's not original, but it's, it's really interesting to start reframing, you know, performance and brand to either future cash flow, future demand, performance is current cash flow, current demand, but just whatever language you use, you start reframing it out of our brand converse marketing uh, language into that of the business. And I think that's what you guys are all pointing to in the end as well. Um, So enough for me, enough from all of us, actually, because as per usual, we've blown our time. Uh, So Clea Baker, John Wilde, Rory Heffern and James Dixon, great conversation. Thanks for joining. Stay safe and look forward to an update. Thanks, Paul. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.